and welcome to Fintech Insider Insights. My name is David Breer. I'm the group CEO here at 11FS. In today's episode, we're going to be asking how are financial services players using blockchain? For anybody who thought the excitement around blockchain was potentially waning, PayPal's launch of a stablecoin has been something of a bit of a shot in the arm for the industry. The push into tokenized assets by one of the biggest payment providers over the last two decades shows that blockchain technology products are very much becoming the norm for financial institutions. So if you're listening to this in a sense of curiosity or maybe even some skepticism, then you'll be really interested to hear how TradFi is really actually using blockchain in the real world. In this show, in association with our friends at Fireblocks, we've put together a panel of amazing experts to discuss how do you decide what blockchain solution might work for you how do you actually go about building something with it? And what does success actually look like in this space? We'll discuss all of this and much, much more on today's show. But first, a few brief messages. Don't go anywhere. This is Fintech Insider After Dark. We are breaking out of the studio and bringing it to the community. It's a live recording of the Fintech Insider podcast featuring your favorite hosts and big name guests. Well, thank you very much for having me back. Join us and become a certified Fintech Insider. Whether it's beers in London or pizza in New York, catch up with Fintech geeks and make new friends across the financial services ecosystem. This is packed out, right? This is standing yeah. We are bringing After Dark to the Village Underground in London on the 20th of September. Click the link in the podcast description or visit 11fs.com slash afterdark. Thank you very much for joining us, everybody. Good night. A lot of you know 11FS for our chart-topping podcasts, our events, videos, reports, and a bunch of other cool stuff that we do. But what a lot of you don't know is that this is just all our side hustle. We do so much more than that. At 11FS Ventures, we're partnering with ambitious businesses around the world to design, build, and launch truly digital financial services. We are building banks, shaping new propositions, and growing existing offerings that change the fabric of financial services. And our design, research, strategy and engineering experts are working to improve your customer's relationship with money. To find out a little bit more, check us out at 11fs.com forward slash ventures. All right, let's get started. As always, I'm joined by a panel of outstanding guests who can shed some light on this question that we've kicked off. First off, though, it is a great pleasure to be joined by Michael Sholov, who is the CEO of Fireblocks. Welcome to the show, Michael. Can you give a, a bit of a background to yourself uh, and also Fireblocks, please? Yeah, sure. Uh, David, thanks for having me on the show. Um, so I've been the CEO of Fireblocks for the last five years. Uh, before that, I actually spent most of my career in the cybersecurity space uh, before starting Fireblocks. And what we do at Fireblocks is uh, we provide an infrastructure for uh, financial institutions and broadly speaking, other types of uh, Web2 uh, businesses that are essentially leveraging uh, blockchain technology and uh, cryptocurrency. So everything from wallet infrastructure to uh, rails to transfer and sell the transactions through the Fireblocks network. And last but not least, a set of capabilities to tokenize the asset. Very, very cool. It's amazing how many people sort of come through that trajectory of, of cyber or you know, underpinning either in infrastructure or, or software security into blockchain. I mean, it seems like a natural progression given, given all of the attributes of, of blockchain, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, especially as you're dealing in the infrastructure levels of uh, the blockchain, there are a lot of sort of cryptographic problems that need to be solved. And those cryptographic problems are essentially cybersecurity problems, right? So people that are spend a bunch of time in cybersecurity, they inherently have a pretty good you know, base to understand and solve uh, for those problems. Uh, this is broadly speaking, you know, how I got into the space. Very cool. Well, we'll definitely unpick that as we uh, as we go on. Thank you very much for joining the show. We also have a FinTech Insider debut for Lisa Wade, who is the CEO over at Digital X. Welcome to the show, Lisa. Um, can you give everybody a little bit of a background about yourself uh, and also Digital X? Yeah, hi. Thanks for having me. Um, Digital X is an Australian listed company. And in crypto and blockchain terms, I guess our OG status comes from being 
Apparently, according to Citigroup, the first listed company in the world to have Bitcoin on their balance sheet and our balance sheet. And uh, we still have Bitcoin on our balance sheet and we're the only Australian listed company that does. I do believe companies around the world have caught up. Um, and we also run three crypto funds um, across different various parts of the continuum. Uh, we have a Bitcoin fund, we have a crypto top 20 fund, and we also have a newly launched real world asset tokenization fund, which we have taken on the Mika definition of um, asset reference tokens because we like the acronym ART. Um, and that, that's sort of us in a nutshell. We've got a, another couple of businesses, but for the context of this conversation, um, we are a Bitcoin balance sheet company listed and we run three funds. Very, very cool. I mean, as, a, as an investor in this stuff, you see the good and the bad of it. So we'll, uh, we'll definitely unpick that uh, as, as we go as well. Um, and finally, it is a welcome return to Fintech Insider for Ala Presenti, who is the co-founder and head of finance at Moneyflow. Welcome to the podcast, Ala. How are you doing? Hello, David. Thank you very much. I'm good and thank you for having me. And hello to everyone. It's an absolute pleasure to, to be here with you today. And for anybody who doesn't know Moneyflow, what's your, what do you guys do? What's your background? At Moneyflow, we are all about empowering every individual, regardless of their background or expertise, to dive into the world of sustainable investment funds. We firmly believe that investing with purpose should be accessible to all. And that's why we've created a platform that combines financial growth with values that matter. We are based in Luxembourg and uh, we plan to go very soon live. I'll tell you more about uh, about us uh, throughout our discussion. Very, very cool. Well, thank you for joining us again. Uh, as always, our producers have done a, a wonderful job of pulling together a great panel of people who really get this subject matter. So we probably should dive in and, uh, and use the time wisely. Um, maybe if we start the conversation by looking really at the very early stages, finding a blockchain solution that fits or, or really works for what you're hoping to do. I mean, it feels like about 10 seconds ago that the entire market was every big bank on the planet was doing a, okay, what are the use cases? Like what fundamentally can we do with blockchain? But Michael, maybe as the market has matured, what, what, are the, what are the best use cases that we're really seeing for blockchain in the market right now? Yeah, so it's definitely started from uh, some of the investment thesis uh, around the cryptocurrencies and especially I would say the uh, kind of like uh, the Bitcoin and narrative of uh, uh, buying a holding Bitcoin. But over the last uh, three or four years, it, it expanded to really using blockchain for the mainstream financial assets, right? So the idea around tokenizing uh, different instruments, uh, starting from basically cash or fiat, uh, which we nowadays call it the stable coin or tokenized deposits, right? Uh, the ability to uh, which is essentially what PayPal is doing and uh, USDC and Tether and some of those use cases, they actually became somewhat of a, of a mainstream, right? I think that uh, if, you, if we combine uh, um, USDC and uh, Tether together, it's a market cap of about uh, 120, I guess, uh, billion dollars of, uh, of cash. Um, and then uh, what is sort of like, you know, quickly following. So once we have the, the cash lag solved, what is quickly following is tokenizing other financial instruments, right? So uh, we have a, a, a good examples around uh, different type of securities, uh, carbon credits, uh, uh, real what we call real world, world assets that are representing uh, different uh, um, assets that uh, are now or different sort of uh, ownership on real world assets that is now represented on the blockchain. And then we have some of the more novel ideas around Web3 in the form of NFTs, tickets, and so on. But basically, uh, as it goes mostly like for the for the financial use cases, then really tokenizing the cash, tokenizing security, tokenizing financial instruments, those are, uh, I think, uh, the the main areas that are currently approaching mainstream. Yeah. And, and um, I mean, when we say... I mean, tokenizing assets, that's a, that's a huge, that's not a, a tiny little slice of financial services or, a, you know, we've gone beyond kind of, uh, you know, lo lovely little pictures or, uh, you know, uh, meowing uh, kind of uh, tokenized capability, you know, like it really feels like we've gone beyond the, the tiny little proof points to the, to your point there around, you know, tokenizing assets in a financial system. That's huge uh, in terms of what everybody's doing as a financial organization, right? 
Yeah, I mean, I think that some of the more exciting examples that we see right now that are even sort of simple examples is tokenized money market funds, right? And uh, you can ask yourself, okay, so what, what's so exciting about tokenizing money market fund? It's sort of the first time that you can have an instrument that is similar to cash that not only can basically bear interest, right, as you holding it, but it's also uh, transferable. It can be used as a settlement uh, instrument. So on. so so actually, like the properties of uh, tokenizing some of those assets, uh, when you represent them on the blockchain, you can actually do many more things with those assets than uh, what you can, uh, what you were able to do in the traditional uh, financial system, or when they were basically locked in in the traditional financial system. And then, as you sort of look at all the different uh, pro- programmable capabilities that can be attached to it. Uh, for example, how you can do settlements uh, without any counterparty risk, uh, without any centralized intermediary, for example, uh, how you can build programmable compliance to reduce the uh, the complexity of access or, or the fees that you need to, uh, to apply in order to access those instruments. I think that the value of doing that is quite clear, and uh, we're seeing a lot of ex- you know amazing examples of asset managers that are really you know embracing uh, this technology that became mature and sort of going to market with it. Yeah, I mean it's it's uh, fascinating, isn't it? It's um, again from a, a flurry of interest, maybe you know, seven, seven, eight years ago in terms of a plethora of use cases to have seen them mature in the market. And, you know, fundamentally, as you say, you know, billions of of pounds, billions of dollars being uh, moved into different assets by gigantic organizations around the world. I mean, this is, um, to say mainstream is probably uh, under-servicing now. But, but I, I guess, I mean, this is great. I mean, this sounds like a lot of fun. But doing anything in financial services is difficult, right? You know, I've kind of worked in many big organizations. They love the idea, but their, their ability to execute is somewhat difficult. So, I mean, Ala, uh, you've obviously gone on a journey to to implement a blockchain solution. How did that go? What was the what was the journey? Well, as a as a fintech startup, innovation obviously is in is in our DNA. Our journey started actually three years ago, more than three years ago by recognizing the need for greater accessibility, transparency, and efficiency in the area of investment funds, especially for retail investors, for those who have been uh, underserved or could not access those services because of the higher entry cost or complexity. So after researching into uh, blockchain's potential, we understood that this is the best solution to align it with our mission. In short, our main goal was to re-engineer the traditional landscape by simplifying processes and removing the, the unnecessary friction, where blockchain was a of a very big help, as as, as David mentioned, uh, you mentioned earlier. Yeah, I mean, it's it's fascinating, isn't it? Your your point there around actually the uh, uh, there was a lot of organizations probably walking around with a POC from a blockchain thing that they'd done trying to find a solution. But you've started from the the problem that you're trying to solve first. Was technology, did the technology matter or was was it just the best way of achieving the outcome? Uh, the technology, if, of course, we, we talk, the technology mattered because we, we choose to implement blockchain, uh, as I said, for the for its main characteristics. Uh, it can help us to reduce intermediation, automatically reduce costs, automatically improve the sustainability aspect of our business, right? Because sustainability is also at our core. And I think we don't talk often enough about the benefits that uh, link to the sustainability that blockchain brings. But here to make it very, very clear, I talk about the proof uh, proof of uh, stake consensus mechanism, right? I feel like we don't talk enough about uh, their advantages. So of course the technology matters, right? Because you wanna align to, to choose which blockchain you use, it is to be aligned with your goals and what would be the end product that you have. So it was it was a long journey, as I said, it's almost four years until we made our product uh, up and running. Uh, but indeed uh, it was of a big, very big help uh, to, to make use for now for a small part of our process because we uh, operate in a hybrid format uh, due to regulatory constraints. So we operate on-chain and off-chain, but the part of uh, we could um, reduce intermediation, we made a a very good use of blockchain for now. 
and we're looking forward to improve it in the future. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, maybe turning to you, Lisa, in, in this sense, I mean, uh, you know, businesses have got a, a lot going on and, and different, you know, organizations have got a lot of technology debt in various different ways, but also maybe different levels of experience with different types of technology as well. So, I mean, what should businesses really sort of weigh up when it comes to deciding to implement blockchain technology? Because every IT department I've ever come across in a big bank has tried to convince me that a database can do everything uh, more efficiently. So what do you think? What's the, how do you get them into that pros and cons piece? Oh, look, um, I, 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 I genuinely believe that there's a massive movement that any great company understands that technology is the way of the future. And then I think um, you, you made the point earlier about identifying the problems that you have in the business and then solving for them. In, in our case, um, we have a very diverse business. So I might just hone in on the funds management business because I think that speaks to what Michael's been talking about and Arlo as well. And in that, um, it, it's really fascinating, right, because we can build a fund that generates superior investment returns by investing in crypto and if I manage that fund with my Fireblocks wallet or any other wallet, it's not a Fireblocks plug, um, then I can calculate my NAV lifetime, which is something I've never been able to do in funds management. So if you ask any funds manager what their pain point in life is, it's every month reconciling their NAV um, and working with all the paperwork in the back office. So there's just all these hidden benefits um, and, all the, and I, I genuinely believe that um, there are massive problems to solve and um, within businesses we can use this technology. Look at uh, even us as a listed company, the treasury that I'm managing and how I make payments and how I interact with clients, so much easier when I can pay an invoice in stablecoin, when I can use my treasury wallets um, rather than you know all of, all of the bank accounts that we run and the day-to-day. -day. So I, I just think that um, once we build the infrastructure, all businesses will be able to see that there's a use case for them. Um, and I really do agree that attacking or not attacking, but yeah, creating and solving problems inside businesses will, all roads will lead to this. Um, and also there is this, um, you know, this is a fintech story because there are layers of the um, technology stack, if you like, that all companies need to look at and work out what's suitable for them because um, you know, on-chain, off-chain, um, we need to work out the cost-effectiveness of what we're building and um, also the, uh, pub the privacy issues that you have and we can talk about some specific examples and how to manage that a little bit further down in the, in the chat. Yeah, I mean, it's, um, and maybe sort of coming back to you, Michael, on, on this, uh, building on what Lisa's just said is, I mean, really, if you're going to be trying to build the future of financial services, you want to be doing it with technology from today. Um, you know, many organizations are still so solving problems that they created 30 or 40 odd years ago, right? So, but if you're really building tomorrow's financial services industry, you really want to do it with the technology that's going to last, right? So is is that the is that the compelling argument really for for blockchain in a, a more holistic sense? I think that this is one of the compelling uh, arguments, right? Uh, so, so definitely some of the reasons why big financial organizations uh, are trying to or are embracing a blockchain is for a technology transformation, right? But I think that if you sort of layer those, uh, the, the, the technology stack over there, that definitely some of the challenges that are currently uh, those organizations are facing is to really do a cloud transformation projects, right? So that's, I think, at the heart of uh, moving from systems that are based on COBOL uh, that were uh, or Fortran that were written in the seventies that yeah surprisingly or magically are still running right and sort of uh, shifting those uh, those workloads into into the cloud. I, I would say that uh, definitely the the movement into blockchain and cloud is something that goes hand in hand. And uh, honestly, for almost all of our clients, uh, I guess like you know for fintech, it's not really a question that all of all of our fintech clients they're natively cloud-based and therefore they're happy to deploy the technology in the cloud. I think that uh, as we're working with some of our sort of uh, key banking clients, uh, we do 
work with them hand in hand to first and foremost figure out how do they deploy our infrastructure and how do they basically attach to the blockchain through cloud, which is sometimes a new process for them. And as you can imagine, it is somewhat uh, um, an interesting journey for their IT and the cyber department. Uh, we are pretty good at doing the handholding over there. But um, kind of holistically looking into that, I, I think that, uh, for, or at least like, you know, from my perspective, blockchain is sort of a much bigger just uh, than, uh, you know, cloud transformation or technology transformation per se on an individual uh, client basis. I think that this is clearly making money and financial assets and maybe even broader than that, uh, compatible with the internet, right? And this is, I think, something that is not always intuitively understood until you actually start to experiment and you basically uh, play with the you know, play with the technology with, with your hands. Um, but one of the things that we actually don't fully realize is that how the old system or the legacy systems, uh, whether this is the money movement systems like SWIFT or Visa or, you know, or, or uh, even ACH in the, in the United States, how non-compatible they are with the internet, right? Why... Uh, as a, for an example, any one of us on this call can actually visit a website in Japan, right? And it will load at a split of a second on our browser, right? But if we would actually try to wire money to Japan, it will take us somewhere between three to 10 days, right? For the money to arrive in Japan for the corresponding banking system. And it will cost us, uh, you know, north to, I assume, $100, right? Depends on the agreements that you have with the banks, right? And honestly, the only thing that we are doing, we're actually moving a few bits from one database to a few bits in a different database, right? That's the only thing that we are doing, right? So, and, and the reason for that is that it's also like, you know, a patch of systems that uh, were built in the 70s and, uh, and, and, and blockchain just kind of, this intermediates that entire structure, uh, makes it compatible with the internet, makes it programmable. And clearly, if you're already embracing this new technology, you're better off doing it in a way that is future-proof, in a way that you're leveraging the technologies that are currently in use, and we will predict that they're going to be in use for the next uh, uh, few decades. So, I mean, it just makes sense to, to sort of do all, all things and do like a whole big transformation at once. Yeah. I mean, it's an interesting one, isn't it? As I sort of said earlier on, the you know, every organization can sort of identify problems. I mean, it's the old sort of adage of customers are very good at telling you what the problem is, but they're very terrible at telling you what to do about it, right? So, you know, how do you go from these ideas to executing it in a an organization at scale. I mean, where where do you really start with that? Because I mean, Lisa, Alla, you know, Michael, you've you've all sort of said, uh, you know, there's a, a you know, name Big Bank at X, they're gonna be, you know, paralyzed by a core banking transformation and a cloud migration and a and the way in which they typically approach those things is basically spending three years of their life paralyzing their organization and ending up with a shiny new version of the old thing that they had before, right? And and that's the real trajectory of those types of transformations. They don't really transform anything, right? So how do you sort of overcome the the initial skepticism? Uh, you know, who are the who really are the stakeholders in a big organization for this type of change? Is it the is it the technology teams or is it the the people who fundamentally have the problem? I can probably speak to this. I mean, I, I mean, I'm at, I'm CEO of DigitalX now, but I came from National Australia Bank, and um, I think that uh, the question you just asked is there is no answer. I think there, in the beginning, there's the coalition of the willing, and um, inside of large organisations, you have one to two, maybe three or four people who actually see the opportunity of the technology and then you absolutely have to find the business use case. And I think in my experience, at I was at National Australia Bank, it was really, um, you know, finding the people that... The, the original project that we worked on was actually impact investing, which socialised the idea of blockchain investment and, and blockchain technology and how we could transform that. And then we had to find the big use case inside of the bank and then we found all the people that would help us and then you have to go through the stakeholder 
engagement through the entire organisation, which, um, you know, I think what we have now is quite amazing. Michael would probably agree that I can't think of one bank in the world that doesn't have that group of people. Uh, whereas, you know, if you go all the way back to 2016 or, um, you know, you, you said 10 seconds, I was like, no, that, that was almost a lifetime ago for people like me who were, you know, 10 seconds ago looking at this technology and trying to build it inside of large organisations. And um, I think the beautiful thing now for this technology is that all of those large organisations, um, it's starting to become mainstream. So um, we can talk about mainstream moments, but really what has to happen is you need to get all of the divisions of the whole bank together and you need to build a strategy and that strategy needs to go up to the board, the board needs to approve it and then it becomes part of how the organisation will innovate. And when you're talking about legacy systems, um, banks can't break legacy systems for a reason. It's called risk management. It's called security. And right back to Michael's first point, that cybersecurity is the key. Um, and if you look at what's happening in Australia in particular right now, there's a big concern around crypto scams. And what, what that has done is the risk divisions of the banks, and I'm saying this is my role of Deputy Chair of Blockchain Australia, and the visibility I have from that, that all of the risk areas of the banks are, are trying to shut down crypto and then they're bleeding crypto into blockchain innovation where it needs to be kept separate because you've got bookends, you've got the wholesale and the building, and then you've got what's happening in crypto and exchanges. And we need to get to the stage now where we all level up our education and see the difference between that. And crypto is beautiful, right? Crypto is the shoulders of the giant that we're standing on because everything that's been built um, is really amazing. However, what happens when you build anything good that's attached to money is you, you do get the, I don't like using the word scammers, um, the catchphrase in Australia we have is crypto is good, scammers are bad. So I'll just say that. Um, but you do have to deal with those elements inside large organisations like banks. And it's something that, that as an industry we need to work with because you get to the point where the board may approve the strategy, but you also still need to then work through and execute the strategy. And I think that's where we are right now. I think I can't think of a bank in the world that doesn't have a strategy that now needs to be executed. And then I do think that that brings out the risk people inside of the bank saying we need to address, um, you know, the externalities that can't be controlled, which is, you know, what's happening with the rug pulling and the FTXs of the world. And, you know, I don't like bringing that up, but it's just a reality for those pioneers inside of banks. I've escaped, <laughs> but I still, my heart goes out to all the pioneers inside of banks who still have to deal with all of that. Yeah, I mean, it's a, an interesting challenge, isn't it? The the bigger the bank, the bigger the target. And, uh, you know, bad guys are pretty innovative when they need to be, aren't they, in terms of sort of trying to get access to those things? I think Michael said um, something when he was in Australia was the attack vector. <laughs> yeah, there's, uh, again, the uh, bigger the prize. Um, what What is it, the uh, sweeter the honey, the more flies it attracts? You know, there's uh, definitely something to that, isn't there? But uh, maybe just sort of sticking to your point a second ago about the the top to bottom, you know, when you're, there's going to be a lot of people listening to this who are in big banks now going, for the love of God, tell me like the abracadabra kind of, you know, what is the magic words to get the board to like understand what the hell we're going on about? Because, because, you know, to Michael's point, they're dealing with, you know, pressure on margins, interest rates of, you know, suddenly a thing, you know, core banking problems, except, you know, there's a lot that are go that's going on. I mean, is the difficulty with this really getting everybody's level of education to the right level? Uh, you know, NAB, NAB I mean, I, I worked with Ross McEwen a lot when he was at RBS. Uh, Ross was always very, very practical. Like if you could give him the the explanation of why it would impact the business and that this is the better solution than this one, you could get momentum in things really, really well. But not every CEO of every, every bank I've found is is like that. So is it a is it an education process as well to get momentum or or do you think it's something broader? I say educate, educate, educate. You need to find the burning platform and then you need to find the killer use case. And in Ross's example, the killer use case we went to him with was carbon and um, we, had, we were able to present that to him live. And so you've just got to get the killer use case that actually speaks to 
where the bank is at and NAB had a massive net zero agenda um, and we were able to present that killer use case. Uh, and then on the other side of it, there has to be the burning platform, which for a bank like National Australia Bank, the area that I was in is carbon is one thing, but also loan and bonds and all of those big ticket items are a burning platform that are being attacked right now. And so that's how we, we raise the bar of getting the attention, getting the opportunity to write the strategy, right? Sounds good. Find the problem people care about. Yeah, if if I can add uh, to some some uh, uh, something on on uh, Lisa's points, uh, indeed, I'm I'm also in for the education, and I do believe um, we have to demystify the association of blockchain with crypto because most of the time when we talk uh, out there, uh, especially with non-financial experts, when we use the word blockchain, they automatically um, uh, associate it with Bitcoin or any crypto exchanges, with it, which is not always the case, right? So to, uh, in my opinion, to, to overcome the skepticism, we need to provide clear and tangible benefits of blockchain implementation as technology and various across various industries. So I'd say sharing success stories or industry real use cases uh, can instill confidence. It's sort of what we're doing right now here to show, okay, this is what we're doing and it works and it doesn't affect your security and actually can help you to build a more um, robust and safe uh, process for your, for your operations. Yeah, I know. I think I think that makes total sense. I think um, I think it was uh, Dave Birch who said um, saying Bitcoin is is to do with crypto is like saying pornography is to do with the internet. It's like yeah, like it facilitates it, but it's not the only thing it does. You know, it's not the only thing. So, uh, M- Michael, on that, I mean, education's clearly a, a big part of this in terms of not only getting people to to understand that it should do something, but really the art of the potential as well. You know, I go back to my point earlier on, really we're trying to build a a different infrastructure for financial services and and getting people's head around that is is really a big part of the challenge, isn't it? Yeah, I I think it's definitely a big part of the challenge. And I think that, uh, you know, to Lisa's earlier point, I think that you have to go, if, if you're dealing with banks and you're dealing with, I would say, more of the legacy players, you definitely need to go to the business and essentially find a way to articulate a business case uh, and probably start pulling it from there. But I also think that there is a, a lot of room to actually go through the fintech route where I think that generally speaking, you have people that are much more, um, in many cases, much more either forward thinking or they, they, they are more capable of taking some residual risks for uh, uh, really leveraging better technology and kind of, you know, uh, getting a, a leg up on, on either the competitors or some incumbents, right? And, and honestly, sometimes there is a room for the combination of the two. But specifically, when we deal with groups that are not intimately familiar with uh, the technology itself, or they are not kind of a pure play startup that uh, was built to specifically deal or build on top of blockchain, then educating them on the potential, educating them about what are the new business models that can be applied using uh, blockchain technology is you know, I would say something that we spend a decent amount of time and money. We actually have a whole group that we call uh, business solutions that uh, what they do is that they engage with uh, middle management and uh, senior executives and they help them to learn about the technology, uh, build a business case. We also, I think the advantage that we do have as Fireblocks is the fact that we power more than 1500 businesses globally, right, that are working with crypto and blockchain, and they actually coming from all different directions, and they solving or building to, uh, in, across uh, many different uh, financial and non financial products. So that intelligence and then information sharing is um, uh, specifically telling people what's working, what's not working is something that uh, had played a pretty big uh, differentiator for us and also a very important thing for our clients in terms of what they can leverage. 
And eventually we kind of, I think what we, we actually do well is that we can uh, take the, basically go full circle and uh, on the back end of it, because of the Firebox network, we can, many times we can actually match someone that build a product and is now going to market and now they need counterparties to either distribute to or do market making or um, be another participant in the ecosystem that they are trying to form. And the uniqueness of the Firebox network is that we are able to help in matchmaking, right, and, and bring those people together. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it is a um, as you say the the trust of having seen success of things in other places. It really builds momentum for big organisations in that way, doesn't it? But uh, got loads more to unpack on this one. We're going to take a little quick break, and we'll be back with you very shortly, though. Hello and welcome, LFG people, to FinTech Insider. Watching Insider, 11FS Spotlight, 11FS Explores, Open Mic Night, After Dark. Through our podcasts, videos, newsletters, and live events, we have a direct line to a truly global fintech community. So if you're looking to sponsor and collaborate on content that connects with everybody from fintech beginners to the biggest VCs, then chat to our team at sponsors at 11fs.com or visit 11fs.com to find out more. Long live the community. All right, so maybe if we uh, we've we've had a, a a look at the solution and and setting it up, maybe if we look a little bit further ahead in terms of launching products that are underpinned by blockchain technology. I mean, it's an interesting one. Obviously, there's a, a huge community uh, globally around the uses of blockchain, but I wonder whether actually the the need for the uh, the blockchain part of it to to really manifest itself in the experience is really necessary or not, or even or even the fact whether it really matters. You know, I mean, I I'm not sure whether I really care about how my car's engine works. I just really care the fact that I can actually drive the thing to where I need to get to. So, I mean, Ala, in your experience, I mean, you you must attract different types of customers: those that really care about blockchain, and then those that really don't. Uh, yes, indeed, we we are addressing two types of uh, of clients. We we are directed to B two B and to B two C. If we talk about the retails at the B two B two C side, even there there is a certification. There are people that are tech savvy. They really uh, care about the technology behind. But in general, I can dare to say that uh, for a general user, they couldn't care less about what is the technology behind as long as we can offer them a good solution, which is accessible, which is faster, which is uh, safe, is secure for their transactions, and which is cheaper, right? So I would say for the uh, B2C component, as long as they have a good solution in place and the user experience, it is a good one, they couldn't care less which type of technology you use. Of course, for the tech service, it's very important, and they would care which type of blockchain do you use, which consensus mechanism you use, and so on and so forth. Uh, but when we talk about the asset management side, because the B2C component is, uh, are the, we talk about asset managers, those that would list uh, their investment funds in our platform, uh, they do care, or if they don't care, they should care about it. Uh, because the benefits of blockchain technology are very tangible and they have a direct impact uh, on, on their operations, right? It is the, a huge reduction of intermediaries, a immense reduction of workflow, resources, paperwork, time involved. So for them, it is a, um, a, a, a significant impact in the way they, they run the operations and how they could benefit by implementing blockchain or using um, providers uh, which will help them with the promoting and distribution of their product, such as our platform, for example. Hmm. I, I mean, Lisa, maybe same point to you. I mean, have you found uh, the blockchain element of products in some instances, you know, customers just don't care. It's not what they're looking to achieve. And But equally, though, in this early stages, and I, you know, to a point, decade in, we're still in the early stages, aren't we? Um, there's huge communities around, very passionate about using blockchain in extreme ways. Yeah, I mean, it's, um, it's interesting. So in the funds business, we run two of the funds that we run are simply 
traditional structured managed investment schemes that offer superior investment investment returns by either investing in Bitcoin or crypto. And honestly, investors give you money to invest if you make them money. And that's why we have those investors in that fund. And that's, um, you know, a different type of investor. And then in the real world asset tokenization fund, there is this um, win-win that you can get through everything that Ala just said about all of the reduced costs. And then there's this transparency around the risk and investment is risk reward. Um, and then there's this new type of investor that's coming in and saying, oh, I get it. I see that the risk reward profile is altered and I can make a greater risk return profile and a greater return, therefore, um, by investing in this product. And I think that you don't need to talk about blockchain to talk about Finance Geek, um, but you, we do have these sort of new savvy investors that are coming in and seeing that, and then I think the future really is not talking about the technology at all and building track records in these investment opportunities and the access and the channels that we can build. And, um, you know, then I would talk about the other business that we have, which is a single share sale business um, called Sell My Shares. And then the future I see for that really is without these clients knowing um, we will transform them from Web 2 to Web 3 um, because they won't even know that yesterday they were transacting Web 2 um, and tomorrow they'll be transacting Web 3 um, and all it will be will be a box that they tick, which is would you like to, you know, we're already doing to prototype this is T0 settlement. Do you want to settle T0? Yes. Okay, so we've got like quite a large percentage of clients will choose choose that and pay a higher fee, by the way. Um, and then we do you want T0? And for a lower fee, it can go straight into a stable coin in your wallet. We don't even need to say that. It's like, do you want to do T0 for a lower fee? Tick, they'll do that all day, every day. And then it'll go into their wallet. And that, I think that's the world we're moving into where, you know, we're not talking about the technology. All the work we'll be doing is... Um, sort of behind the scenes, uh, but we're not quite there yet. And where we are now is educating, talking about it and um, bringing in these new systems and processes using the technology. And, um, you know, I think every business will have different use cases and conversations. And Michael's probably at the forefront of all of that because, as he said, with that network effect that um, Fireblocks have is joining all of the clients together because think of our investment funds I need all of the Fireblocks clients who want to use the technology to issue bonds or loans or whatever. So we've got something to invest in to prove what I was talking about earlier. So it's this big ecosystem that we need to create. Yeah. And, and and that word ecosystem is a good one, Michael, there as well, isn't it? Because as you say, that as Lisa says, there's a, a lot of different parties within that ecosystem that really make it operate but i mean do you think do you agree with her point though that actually almost it becomes the technology becomes secondary it's always what you it's always the problem you're solving for a customer that's the most critical thing yeah i definitely agree that uh, you know to use blockchain for the sake of blockchain uh, maybe it resonates with you know certain uh, participants that are very enthusiastic and they are almost i think religious about some of the properties that blockchain brings, like you know, non-custodial setups and the ownership and things like that, right? But I would actually say that you know, most users right now, most users, I guess, globally, they're not sophisticated enough or financially sophisticated enough to actually understand the, that those concepts to to the degree where you know they will be willing to assume responsibilities or they will be willing to assume the technological complexity where you actually need to um, almost like, you know, approach or interact with the blockchain at the lowest level, right? I think that where things come to the, to actually sort of provide value is through fintech organizations like the one that Lisa and I are, are running uh, where you are essentially you know, revolutionizing or providing new experience um, or an experience that 
might already exist, but like, you know, exist in somewhat of a crappy way, right? So you're actually leveraging the fact that it's cheap, that it's fast, that you can actually disintermediate a lot of different parties, that you can uh, create uh, transactions uh, in real time that are actually moving between uh, different geographies, uh, that you can create increased distribution, that you can uh, make things uh, so streamlined that you can uh, increase uh, increase the population and make it much more inclusive, right? So there are all those properties that are inherent to uh, to when you actually using blockchain technologies, and it's very difficult to do that in a very different way, right? Or it will be very expensive, or you will actually need to rely on a lot of uh, intermediaries to accomplish that. And then you just basically bring a much better or new product to the market, right? So, and that's, I think, what ultimately people care about. And uh, and I think that in order to do that, to be honest, we need the pioneers, right, that are here uh, on the call that are really... Um, understand how do you take the technology and you create a better financial experience that what is currently available through the incumbents or from the legacy systems and uh, they're building the use cases and, uh, and putting all the energy to troubleshoot them. And I think that once that becomes a standard and people get accustomed to that, then it sort of like, you know, propagates and they are sort of expecting that from any other provider they have, right? So I can give like a very simple example to how we started to operate as a business. And it's it's a true story, but I think it's just basically a very real story of how we started uh, accepting and at some point basically preferring to be paid in stable coins for what we are invoicing. So well, like, you know, four years ago, we had a client that uh, uh, wanted to, we were back in the days, we would just basically send people an invoice uh, for, in dollars and they would pay us uh, usually with a, a wire or with, uh, uh, you know, sometimes people will actually send us checks, which was surprising because, you know, we are in, in, in the crypto blockchain space. People will st- still send you a check. And um, and we also had like, you know, a Stripe account for very small payments, right? So that at some point we had a client that came to us and say like, hey, I want to pay you, you know, an invoice of let's say like $30,000, but I want to pay it in a credit card. And my sales, one of our sales lady asked me if uh, we can process it in a credit card. I told her like, no way, because I'm not going to pay $1,000 commission, right? Because they're charging 3% for, uh, <laughs> for for processing a wire. So, and then I asked her like, hey, ask them if they can send us it in a stable coin. So they sent us it in, I believe back in the day it was in USDC. It took less than 50 seconds to get into our wallet and it cost like, you know, five cents to settle. And uh, from that point, nowadays about, I think like, you know, north than 50% of our clients are actually paying us in stable coins, their invoices, and we're processing millions of dollars per year of, of invoices in, in stable coins. And it's so much better that I actually don't see myself using any other solution for collecting payments rather than stable coin, right? Um, so I think those are kind of the experiences that I, it's like almost, like, almost like, you know, uh, uh, this kind of door that once you go through, there is no way for you to go back to, to the old world. Oh, absolutely. I might share. Yeah, it feels like a, a real sort of uh, Neo seeing the Matrix moment in uh, in very often for for people who sort of step through that uh, that glass, isn't it? But and I, and I guess to that point, and Michael, uh, you know, you, Lisa, Alla, it as you said, it it sort of takes the innovators, you guys building businesses showing the the sort of opportunities the success that it can bring to really get the momentum in other people feeling comfortable to kind of step into that territory but maybe if we i think we could probably go for like another seven hours on this topic with uh, with each of you just because uh, i think there's so much to kind of unpack on it but we're gonna have to wrap up we're gonna have to kind of close down um just in one in one sentence why use blockchain now like lisa start with you what why why use blockchain today the time is now and it's cheaper, smarter, faster. And I can't think of one business use case in finance where it's not. Michael just gave the perfect example, you know, whether you're running a fund or I look at the admin of our business, um, why would I do anything other than paying stablecoin or crypto when it's so much easier? And 
the time is now. So I think that everybody should be looking at use cases. And I think if you found a finance problem that you can't solve, um, you probably find the answer in blockchain. And I think that it'll just be like the internet was in 1994 when I started working. Um, you know, it was quite unusual to um, understand the internet then and um, look at where we are today. And I think that that is what we'll be saying in 10 years' time. And I think our, um, one of our catchphrases is doing the next now, um, and I think everybody should be looking at that. Very good. Ala, what do you think? Uh, why use blockchain now? From my point of view, persisting with blockchain is worth the effort due to its unique combination of security, transparency, efficiency, and my favorite one, sustainability. I think we need to rethink and redesign most of the old ways of doing business if we want to remain relevant on the market in the coming five, 10 years. Yeah. I mean, it's amazing, isn't it? It wasn't long ago there was some bloke with a big book called The Ledger, and that was banking, right? Uh, you know, and actually, this sort of digitized world we live in, people have just took that mentality into a, you know, an IT system, and, and it's not really necessarily fit for the, the world that we want to create. But Michael, we'll uh, give the last word to you. Why, why use blockchain now? Um, simply because if you are starting something new now, then it's an opportunity for you to disintermediate someone. And if you are a, an incumbent, then if you're not going to use blockchain now, then someone else is going to disintermediate you, right? So I think that it's uh, clearly right now an arms race. And I think that anyone who doesn't have a strategy or is actually like, you know, early, by the time that he will figure out the technology, potentially his kind of market position will be taken by someone else. Yeah, completely agree with that. I mean, there's... Uh two strategies, right? You're either playing defense or offense. And I, I know which one I'd always prefer to be on. So uh, on that note, that probably wraps up the discussion for today. Thank you so much for joining us. Where can people learn a little bit more about you and your companies? Lisa, starting with you. Oh, we're listed. So DCC space AU on Bloomberg is our code. And um, I'm on LinkedIn. So look me up on LinkedIn. I'm also on Twitter, but I think that now Twitter's called X. Just look me up on LinkedIn. Very good. Alla? I invite you to check us on moneyflow.com. There we also have the link and you can find our app in App Store and Google Play if you want to try it. And of course, follow us on all the social media, Instagram, LinkedIn, TikTok, Facebook. We're all there. And me personally on LinkedIn. So very happy to connect with anyone uh, who wants to share great ideas. And thank you very much for, uh, for having me here once again. Big thank you, David, and to your team. No problem at all. Michael, where can people learn a little bit more about you and your company? Uh, fireblocks.com. That's the easiest to find to learn more about Fireblocks and uh, get access to, to our product. And uh, I'm also mostly active on LinkedIn. So uh, Michael Shalov on LinkedIn. Very good. As all of the other panel, I'm predominantly lurking on LinkedIn these days, so happy to connect with anybody there. Thank you so much for listening. If you like what you've heard, follow the podcast and don't forget to leave us a review. It super duper helps other people find the show. As always, if you want to join the conversation, find us on social media. Just search for 11FS or Fintech Insider. Or if you really want to, you can email us on podcasts at 11FS.com. Thank you so much for listening, guys. See you soon. Goodbye. Goodbye.